Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-South Television Review Show, where I am going to be joined this week, as always, as I'm joined every week by the great Brian Lass, as today we're going to go through Mid-South Wrestling from July the 17th of 1982. We've got Bill Watts back at the commentary table. We've got Boyd Pierce, who's got a white suit on this week with a very, very large red and dotted I don't know, shirt, and his collar is on fleek, as the kids say these days. But before we get into all of that, let me throw it to the man behind the 605 Super Podcast, the mothership, the great Brian Last. Brian, how you doing this week? Hello, hi, Mike. I'm doing all right. Great to be here for another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Happy that the Cowboy is back in the commentating seat this week. Uh, just one other note I want to say, based on everything you said, this was taped July 7th. 1982 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. And it's good you point that out because this is the, I believe, second taping because last week we were, it was the same exact date. So That's we're 11 right. days past that. Uh, so good to know there. But, uh, you know, Boyd and Bill Watts are going to open the show. And Brian, but before they do that, do you have anything else? Uh, the only other thing I could say is that this was a big day in Mid-South Wrestling history, the day this first aired, July 17th, 82, because there was a Superdome show that day. And of course, because we don't have the localized promos for this episode or the ones from this period of time in 1982, we haven't really heard the buildup. But it's important to know that there are localized promos being aired each week with these television shows, and they're building up shows in Oklahoma, in Louisiana, in Arkansas, Mississippi, and specifically in this area in Louisiana for the Superdome. So let's go to the clip now of Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts opening up this week's episode. Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and a lot of action. It'll be headlined by a great card, one featuring the Mississippi Heavyweight Championship as the champion, Mr. Olympia, defends his coveted title against the challenge of Bob Root. But a lot of other action as Colonel Buck Robley goes in the ring against the mass grappler. You'll see teaming up for the first time ever on television, the team of the Big Cat Ernie Lad and the Junkyard Dog. Skandor Akbar has his two men in his stable in a team match. Killer Khan, 454-pound one-man gang. It's all outstanding, and our guest commentator also is outstanding. That describes Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, Boyd Pierce, thanks a lot. It's great to be here again. You know, it makes it so easy when Grizzly Smith has lined up such great cards. When you've got great athletes out here to talk about, it really makes our job easy and a very pleasant job. Of course, Buck Robley with a grappler, that'll be a great match. Bob Roop, the Mississippi title against Mr. Olympia. You know, he's the man with a plan, and I would be, if I were Mr. Olympia, worried about Roop seems to always attack your most powerful tactic, which is the sleeper by Mr. Olympia. We'll have to see what happens there. And the first time ever on TV, the Junkyard Dog and Ernie Ladd as a team. It's a great card, and let's go straight to the ring now for the announcement where Easter Mountain with Buck Robley and the grappler. Pretty basic opening there, Mike. No big angles or anything to recap, just setting up this episode. Yeah, basic, and, you know, we don't get thrown to Paul Ellering with a, you know, kid's face smashed into his buttock. So I agree. Very basic as they throw us to the first match with the grappler versus Buckley, Christopher George, Robley III. That's right, the opening match, the grapple versus Buck Robley with Alfred Neely as the referee. Uh, we'll have a few notes about this match in a second, but first, Bill Watts has a really interesting thing here on Commentary Mike where he talks about TV time limits, specifically why some matches are timed one way on TV versus another way at the arena shows. Let's listen to this right now. Should be a great match. These are both top competitors. Like I say, Grizzly Smith, he believes in making... The matches on TV, the top matches. These matches are 
comparable to the match you get in at arenas anywhere in the whole world. Here they are right here on television. Of course, the time limits are cut down. It becomes a match of chance because these guys were in a main event in, a, in New Orleans or in the Superdome or in Tulsa or Oklahoma City, the Marriott Center or Baton Rouge or someplace like that. It may be a one-hour time limit match, which gives the guy a chance to go out and pace himself and to set up his strategy and force the other guy to make mistakes. But these are one fall or a 10-minute time limit. These guys know that they're here on television in front of millions of fans throughout five states, six states. They've certainly got to go out there and try to make it happen because they don't want to spend their effort and their energy, their time and their money being here and not getting a victory, not impressing these promoters that, that call for these matches all over the country. Well, there it is, a simple yet reasonable explanation as to why the TV matches are 10-minute time limit. That's an outstanding explanation for Bill Watts regarding TV time limits and versus the sometimes one-hour time limits in the main events at the non-televised matches. I, I've, I mean, I, seriously, we, we gloat and we praise Watts for a lot of his commentary and a lot of things he says, but it's so true. I mean, you've only got a, a, a select amount of time, so it would be like, it would be like you know, if you were – if you were a race, if you were a runner of some sort and into track and field. So you've got instances where obviously there's a hundred meter dash. Well, in those instances, you're going to output everything in a hundred meter dash when you're racing somebody. You're going to, because from, you've only got a small time frame to get the win. Whereas if you were in the 400 meter dash, well, I don't say dash, but you know, 400 meters and you're going to do an entire lap around the track um, or not even say that, let's just say you're going to run a mile. You're going to pace yourself much differently than you would if you ran the 100 meter. I mean, that's basically what he said right there if you're, if you're thinking about it from a track and field standpoint. So I really like that. I really like how Watts explained the TV time limit versus sometimes one hour. It's a totally different strategy, and it needs to be looked at that way. And it's to the point you said, simple but yet very effective. We're going to play some audio here of the finish of this match, but I have to say it's a good match. It's a really good match, and the fans are into it. But Buck Roby and the Grappler... Really fun match here. So let's go to this audio of the end of the match. Please note, if you hear someone cough, it's not Mike and it's not me. I think it's the Cowboy. But let's go to this right now. Robley caught him a roundhouse right hook. That's a kick into the midsection, and that looked like more of the toe than the flat. That would have been questionable tactic-wise as far as legality. But I think right now Buck Robey's there just trying to survive. Elbow. Nearly warning them, but gentlemen, let me tell you, one thing about pro wrestling, these referees let these men try to take care of their own beefs out there. Sleeper. Buck Roby got the sleeper on the grappler. Oh, the grappler went between the ropes, which clotheslined Buck Roby on those cables, and Buck caught it right in his throat. <coughs> the grappler, the wily ring veteran. Now he's driving a shoulder in the Buck's Midsection that really drove Buck back. The grappler loading that boot. Boyd Pierce, he's loaded that on. Nearly hurt him and his question about But Buck, Buck Robley is adjusting that brace, and that's been known to cause a little damage. Robley beat the grappler to the punch. Robley going for a backdrop. The grappler kicked at him. Buck got out of the way. Whoa! That could have been the guillotine end of it. I think he got a count of about six there, Boyd Pierce. That's right, and Colonel Buck Robley, hand-raised in victory. We'll be back with more exciting action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling.
Like I said before, my good match, the fans are really into it, and a really clever finish with the grappler going for the loaded boot, and Buck Robley has the perfect answer to that. He has a loaded brace. I always have said for years on uh, Booking the Territory that I always liked when the, even as a kid, I liked when the faces cheated. And I'm not saying that Buck Robley did anything heinous here or anything that was cheating, but I mean, it appears that he may have adjusted his arm so that if something was in there, it would have, you know, knocked the grappler out or did some damage to him. And I just thought, like, in this instance, when the grappler goes to load the boot and Buck Robley kind of what I call one-ups him and and he he moves and then the grappler takes the bump and then Robley uses the, the forearm. I just I kind of always liked when the faces made the heels look stupid because that's what it looks like right there. So the heel actually looks like an idiot, which is what he should be. Uh, good stuff there, man. Good finish. The crowd was definitely into it and Buck Robley gets the win on that one. The next match, Mike, is the North American champion Ted DiBiase versus Buddy Landau with Rick Ferreira as the referee. We're going to have some audio to play here, but I have to say beforehand, DiBiase is fantastic here as a heel, and this is the best showcase Buddy Landau's ever had on Mid-South TV up to this point. I wonder if, as you say that, what when you you know not to spoil things but i'm going to do so um buddy has a a better run in mid-south later on down the line in, in a few years or so i wonder if watts looked back at this moment and not only this moment because i'm sure he did this on on house shows non-televised events as well but i wonder if watts looked at all those moments and said you know something i got something here with this guy there's there's something here that i can do something with because Buddy has a fantastic showing against the North American champion right here. And I, I mean that. I, I, I'm not, that's not me just exaggerating to the point of just to do it. He has a really, really good showing against Ted DiBiase right here. Let's hear some audio first. Let's hear the Cowboy talking about Ted DiBiase's glove, as well as Dick Murdoch's reaction to it, and much more. Let's go to this right now. I've certainly been following it, and uh, I noticed that Ted DiBiase is uh, not making any pretense anymore. He no longer has the taped-up hand. He's just wearing that glove. I uh, wonder how he justifies that. I guess Teddy will go down the annals of wrestling as the modern-day Benedict Arnold because uh, the closeness and the brotherhood between he and the dog, it sure went down the drain when it was between uh, DiBiase's championship that he now holds and their friendship. You know, uh, Dick Murdoch called me from the New Japan Hotel in Tokyo. I almost didn't need the overseas operator to hear him. He was really upset. You know, he kind of took DiBiase under his wing when DiBiase's father, Iron Mike, was killed in the ring in Amarillo. And uh, Dick always watched the kid when he was a star football player on West Texas State University, helped get him in wrestling, and, and Ted DiBiase won Rookie of the Year, and Dick Murdoch was just as proud as if he was his father. And, I'm telling you, he was really upset. He said, you know, he said, if Iron Mike was here, he'd turn over in his grave to see what Ted DiBiase's done. He just, he said, maybe that's kind of the problem when a young fellow in the home and his father is, uh, expires and the mother has to bring him up. Maybe he doesn't get that hand, that, that stern discipline. And I think in reading through Dick Murdoch's words that when he comes back to this country, from his tour that DiBiase is going to have to answer to more than the junkyard dog. Some great moves. Buddy Landell, a very improved young athlete. And he's making the North American champion uh, check his hold card. And let me tell you, 
The fans are really behind Buddy Landell. I think Ted DiBiase is going to have to have a little of this culture shock that nobody's going to really be for him anymore since because one thing about it, the junkyard, good, good move inside cradle by Landell. And he had DiBiase in a real predicament. DiBiase, his game plan is seemingly not clicking on this youngster. Well, let's stop the tape there, Mike. Bill Watts seemingly blaming the fact that Ted DiBiase was raised by his mother alone after his father's passing as being one of the causes for his recent heel turn. Is that the way? Am I reading that correctly? I, I mean, that's how I took it because as Watts <laughs> said, he didn't hear, he didn't get that, you know, spanking that hand to his butt. So it made him, you know, be a, you know, I don't know what's a, he, he, he has no discipline. He's, he's struggling with discipline and understanding things like that because he didn't have a father around to kick his ass. That's exactly what Watts said. And you know, what's funny about that is Watts is probably speaking how he raised his own children right there. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, the Cowboys and old timer, man, back in the day, they beat you. And um, that's all he's saying right there. That's just Watts kind of shooting. Yeah, I mean, even on TV, he says great things about Joel Watts and his flying and everything. If you talk to people who were there, the popular phrase that he would say is, Joel, you blithering idiot in front of everyone. So, I mean, Bill was a was a hard boss and, and probably a hard father at times, but we have a little more audio of this match, Mike. It'll once again be the Cowboy, and this will be covering the finish of the match. So let's go to this. We'll talk about it on the other side. Seems like he wants him to pay back some of the venom. Maybe he feels that, that, that the people that he thinks have not been fair-weather friends. Wow, Buddy Landell fed him a little shoe leather. But I tell you, all the people around the Mid-South area can't be wrong. Bob Root called it. We analyzed the films and saw it. And when DiBiase knocked out the junkyard dog, he definitely put something in that glove. And I think the proof of the pudding, he's no longer even wearing the tape. Wow, hip toss by Landell. Landell is a fired-up young man. DiBiase, you're going to find out what it means. And DiBiase, DiBiase bailed out. That's the first time I've ever seen Ted DiBiase get out of the ring like it's too hot in the kitchen and there's Landell patting his hands wanting the champion to come back inside maybe I was going to find out when you're the North American champion you're everybody's target they all want to beat you and Buddy Landell has a lot of added incentive DiBiase he caught Buddy Landell with a solid right I didn't see him put anything in that glove but DiBiase's 250 pounds and I'm sure he can fire with the best anyway power slam now, that, there's that deliberate, there's that deliberate coup de grace, that additional punishment. Now into the figure four. He's got Buddy Landell into the figure four, headlock, figure four leg lock. Buddy Landell gives it up. That one hold, you better give it up or your leg or you're going to be going to the hospital. Ted DiBiase, the North American champion with a victory. We'll be back when action resumes after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. First of all, I got to say, Buddy Landell, not only was it a great performance by him, but the fans really got behind Buddy Landell. They believed in Buddy Landell here. And Ted DiBiase was fantastic as, you said smug previously. I don't even think it's smug. Annoyed. Pissed off. Not happy with the fans. Not happy with the refereeing. Not happy with not getting his way in the match. It's a whole new Ted DiBiase. And... It's crazy to think about how bland he was as a babyface a few months ago because he's quickly become so dynamic as a heel. 
It definitely was the right move for him to turn. There's no doubt in our minds now as we look back, one of the, I mean, probably just a, a phenomenal thing because you see him in this role and he's just, he's a prick, man. He just, the way he looks at them and you, you got to give Buddy something. You, you were mentioning here, the fans got behind Buddy. It's as just it's just as much of a combination of how De- DiBiase is as much as how Buddy sold things and Buddy was fired up. They were really behind Buddy here. Buddy, this is a heck of a show, and I know I mentioned it already, but and Buddy looks real good. And and then one other thing, credit Watts because Watts is his voice inflection, and when when I think it was DiBiase took the I think it was a drop kick. And and DiBiase powdered out the ring and rolls out. Watts emphasized, he's like, man, he's got, you know, he's got DiBiase on the run. He he got out of there. He got out of Dodge. He didn't want any part of that. And that was a lot to it. The other thing, too, uh, you hear Watts talk about when DiBiase first hits Buddy with the loaded glove or what we assume is a loaded glove. Buddy took one of those, almost took like a, a JYD fall. Did you catch that, Brian? Or uh, the Tim Bird? It wasn't the same, but it was close. He took a great shot to the jaw, and he went down. Like Even his eyes, like, Buddy did a great job. Buddy did a great job throughout this whole match and did a great job when he had to sell, especially at that point. Yeah, absolutely. But all around good stuff. I mean, good stuff from Watts right there, good stuff from Buddy right there, good stuff from DiBiase, who, I mean, again, he he's pissed, and he's he's a heel now. And there, there's no, oh, maybe he just – only was, you know, kind of doing that because he wanted the North American title. No, this dude is completely flipped over to the other side and it's there and get used to it because the uh, heel version of Ted DiBiase is here to stay. For our next match, Mike, we get the return of Iron Mike Sharp. He hasn't been on TV in, if not a month, at least several weeks. So it's been a few TV tapings since he's been there against Bill Ash with Alfred Neely as the referee. Mike, I think it was last week on the show I brought up how annoying this one fan was in a yellow shirt, a Steelers shirt, as you pointed out, and a trucker hat and sunglasses, and just hamming it up for the camera, doing a walk like the Egyptian dance for the JYD years before the Bengals had that song. I find him to be terribly annoying. Well, during this match, he wears his sunglasses across his face. If you watch any of the footage, you'll see, and it just annoys me even more. Had to point that out for anyone following along at home. Let's get a little bit of audio now that we'll talk about it on the other side. The Cowboy and Boyd Pierce have received some fan mail, and it's very interesting fan mail. Let's hear what they have to say about that. You know, I'd like to take a moment here, say one thing. Oftentimes, and I was reading some of the mail to Mid-South, and fans write in, they'll say, Boyd, why don't you and I stop what goes on in the ring when it comes to illegal tactics? I want to say one thing. You and I have no jurisdiction in that ring. The referee does, and the and the two wrestlers. But you know, I I watch a tremendous amount of amateur wrestling, and I and the national tournaments, the top collegiate bouts, and many of the the fans that watch collegiate wrestling and high school wrestling and and the kids wrestling, they think the referees are over restrictive. It's almost gotten to where the referees restrict the wrestling that they're so involved in it that they penalize guys for various things that are at their own discretion. That the people say the referees come too much of center of the action. So it seems like it's hard to find a middle line or a line that will satisfy everybody. But I think when I was wrestling, my theory was always I was big enough to take care of myself. And if I couldn't take care of myself, I never blamed the referee. If my opponent was able to come up with some tactic or to to cheat me or whatever, I figured that he was the one that did it. It wasn't the referee because if the referee has to fight my fights, 
he should be the wrestler and I should have been the referee. So admittedly, in all pro sports, the rules are not as rigidly enforced. And that's the difference in the amateur and pro. By the time you're a pro, you're supposed to be able to take care of yourself. Some strong stuff there from Bill Watts. Mike, any thoughts on what Bill Watts had to say there or this match? I mean, he basically explained away all of our concerns whenever these refs have gone rogue and decided to not call certain things and not, you know, see certain things. Or they saw it, but they just kind of ignored it. There's been multiple instances where Alfred Neely watched someone get hit with a foreign object and is just like, no, we're going to let it keep going. And then Dahl gets the win or DiBiase got the win. And he explained it as, well, they've got discretion and he and then he went even a step further, which I thought was the, the, the gold of it when he said, you know, I don't blame the refs, you know, I, uh, I'm not always enforcing it. Um, you know, there's there's things that also when I get in there and I'm wrestling the ring, I, you know, I don't I don't want the refs to feel like they need to help me out. I should be able to take care of myself. And it's I just thought that was good, man. That's Cowboy Bill Watts being Cowboy Bill Watts. And, you know, back then that was um, he said that and you're like, all right, well. We go with what we're told. So that explains why these refs and treat things the way they do and why our baby faces should just go with it and allow it. Iron Mike Sharp wins with a backbreaker. And from there, we get a tag team match. Killer Khan, the Louisiana State champion, and the one-man gang with General Skandar Akbar versus Coco Samoa and Vinny Romeo. And we have a little bit of audio. Oh, by the way, Rick Ferreira as the referee. But we have a little bit of audio during this match. Uh, Bill Watts talking about Killer Khan winning the Louisiana State Championship Tournament, as well as how the Junkyard Dog got ripped off. Let's go to this right now. Well, boy, Pierce, I'm just sitting here reflecting. The new Louisiana champion you see out there, Killer Khan. And, you know, it'd take me a while to go into that. That was one of the big ripoffs of history. And Ted DiBiase right at the bottom of it against the Junkyard Dog again. So Ted DiBiase is really trying to make his plans well to hang on to that North American title, and he knows the one guy he has to get rid of in order to hang on to it is a junkyard dog, and there was a big tournament July the 6th in Baton Rouge. The dog was in the finals, and Killer Khan was in the finals, and DiBiase, who wasn't even in the tournament, came out and challenged the dog. And the dog said, I'll rescue you. Let me finish this tournament. Because dog, after being ripped off for the title, had entered the tournament to regain the Louisiana title that he'd lost on just a stipulation, a, a Mid-South stipulation that he was the victim of. Look at this killer con. Look at him. What an animal. And, and DiBiase said, no, if you want a chance at me, he says, you've got to try now. And Dog asking, he said, is this for the North American title? And DiBiase shook his head, is what I'm told, in the affirmative. And Dog and he wrestled, and Dog won the match. And then Khan and Akbar jumped in, and while Dog was exhausted, said this is still going on for the Louisiana tournament. They took him from behind, and Khan won the match. And then DiBiase said that the Dog had never signed a contract, that he had not signified us for the title. He had said he was just taking the North American belt off so that they could wrestle to settle a personal issue. It's amazing how often the Dog got screwed in Mid-South Wrestling, Mike. <laughs> He got screwed here, man. I mean, you think about what Watts said. Let's lay it out real quick for you. So, Dog ends up back in the Louisiana tournament, even though he wasn't going to be in it originally because of the stipulation where he had to give up the title. And when he gave it up, he was North American champion, but then he lost the North American title. So, uh, at first they were saying, well, he couldn't be in there, but he ends up back in it. So, now that he ends up back in it, 
right before it sounds like the final, because I wasn't there, but right before the final, all of a sudden DiBiase um, says, nah, if you want a chance at this at the North American title, you're going to get it right now. Dog wins the match. Supposedly DiBiase agreed to it, shook his head, nodded, but there was no contract. So although Dog won, he doesn't get the North American title. And then right after that match, Dog gets you know, torpedoed and, and bamboozled by Khan and, and, and the rest of the, the hooligans out there. And dog ends up losing the final of the tournament. I have no clue how long that match went, but he lost that match. So now he is screwed again to the point you made at the very beginning of this. Uh, not only did he not win the North American title, even though he beat DiBiase that night, but then he loses to Khan because he's exhausted from that previous match. So he loses in two ways. Although he did win a match. It's just, I mean, yeah, they were trying their best to get some sympathy on dog. And I mean, I got to say, it did work back then. Killer Khan and the one-man gang win after Coco Samoa's pinned when Killer Khan gives him the knee drop off the second rope. And from there, the Mississippi State Champion, Mr. Olympia, defends the title against Bob Roop with Alfred Neely as the referee. We're going to play a little bit of audio here in a second, but I got to bring this up because we certainly have not seen it on Mid-South Wrestling up to this point. I don't know if it was ever done on Mid-South TV before the episodes we are reviewing, but during this match, Mr. Olympia does a dive through the ropes to the floor on the Bob Roop, and the people react to it because it was such a rare thing. People did not see that kind of stuff in wrestling, let alone in Mid-South in 1982. Yeah, I think this is the first we've seen it since the time we've reviewed. I don't know if there's footage out there of it happening before late 81 when we started. Um, I believe Chavo Guerrero is going to do it in Mid-South, too, in a few more years. I want to say he comes in when he does it, and it's like, whoa. But um, I actually took a clip of this uh, from the collection I have, and I'm going to post it uh, on, on Twitter at some point. But, yeah, he he hits that dive through the rope, and that's just – I mean, he may as well have been you know, doing a, a moonsault or some other flip over the top rope because you just didn't see things like that at this time. Here's some audio from this match of Cowboy Bill Watts talking about Bob Roop. The crowd time to help Alfred Neely to see what's going on behind him. Bob Roop, the master of deceit. Bob Roop is proud to say that he ran Paul Orndorff out of the Mid-South area. I will say he certainly humiliated Orndorff. We're glad to see Orndorff is doing well in another area. It seems like a lot of athletes, when they get tested by fire here, can do well in other areas. But Mid-South is known throughout the wrestling world, the end crowd, as the toughest competition in wrestling in the whole world. There's other areas that sometimes are on satellite television or home box office of the USA Network or CBN or things like that. But the, all the wrestlers talk about the competition in the Mid-South area, and you can see why. Olympia's caught the sleeper. He's caught Bob Roop in the sleeper. Roop stepped behind him. Wow, Bob Roop reverse backbreaker. Bob Roop, the man with a plan, he had a counter for Olympia's sleeper hold. He countered Olympia's sleeper hold. Bob Roop with a sleeper. Bob Roop has Olympia in the sleeper. I hope Olympia's worked on his counters because apparently Bob Roop has Olympia trying to get to the corner. Bob Roop's got him in a lot of trouble right here. Bob Roop could be capturing the Mississippi title. With Olympia's own hold, Olympia tried to go to the turnbuckles, but Roop let him go. He studied Olympia well. He, you can see he spent a lot of time on the film. Olympia's in a world of trouble. 
Olympia climbing the rope. Olympia's got the sleeper en route. Olympia used a tremendous amount of agility and ability to re come back over the top of Bob Roop's head. Now Bob Roop trying to get off, but Olympia quick. Bob Roop's in a lot of trouble. Olympia's got the sleeper. Bob Roop's down to his knee. He's down to his knee. If he doesn't break it soon, it'll be too late. And it looks like he's slowly going out. The blood to the brain through the carotid artery is being cut off, and Alfred Neely's checking it. And there it is, Boyd. Mr. Olympia retains the Mississippi title. A big victory for this young man. There he is. Mr. Olympia still the Mississippi champion. That means we'll have standby matches coming up after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Well, there it is. Mr. Olympia defeating Bob Roop. In case you haven't figured it out yet, Bob Roop finishing up in Mid-South Wrestling right now. Obviously, a few weeks back, he lost to the Junkyard Dog in less than two minutes. And here he is losing to Mr. Olympia, someone they are positioning well with the tag team titles and with the Mississippi State Championship and someone they're trying to elevate a little bit. And he gets the victory here over Bob Root. Yeah, good stuff. Olympia gets the win to the point I can't make any other points that you didn't say already. JYD, obviously, uh, I would say Roop essentially job to him a couple weeks ago, like you said. Uh, I, one question for you, Brian, as we're, we're talking about this. Um, Orndorf, you heard Watts mention Orndorf at this point and said he and he even said Orndorf was doing well where he was. Uh, Orndorf was in Georgia, right? Didn't you say he went to Georgia after this? Yeah, he went to Georgia. So the fans in Mid-South that had cable would be seeing him on TBS. OK, so I didn't think Watts. Watts, we've kind of speculated about, you know, him burying folks and whatnot, but he seemed to put over Orndorf there. I mean, because he even said he's doing well where he's at. Now, he did kind of, uh, it was a little bit of gray area as he talked about the cable systems and the shows on cable and whatnot, but I thought, you know, we speculated and I had a couple people reach out to me on Twitter about, you know, Watts may have been burying Orndorf. Um, I think here he, he, he kind of clears that up. Watts does at least when he says, you know, Orndorf's doing well where he's at. Now, he doesn't say Georgia, but he says where he's at. So even though he's gone, he, he didn't he isn't quite burying him at this point. But I thought this was a was a good match. And to the point you made at the very beginning, it seems like Bob Roop is definitely on his way out of Mid-South. From there, we get our next match. Hacksaw Duggan without Skandar Akbar this week, although Skandar Akbar is scouting from ringside or from the boxing ring in the back, against Mike Bond with Rick Ferreira as the referee. I don't have too much for this one, Mike. All I have is that Duggan wins after running his opponent into the turnbuckle and doing the backbreaker. Any thoughts? Uh, the only thing I had was, was Watts makes lots of mentions about Duggan being penalized a lot in football for spearing people like he's keeps driving that point home but uh, like you said duggan wins when he picks up bond and then runs him corner to corner and then hits hits him with the backbreaker uh duggan by pinfall no surprise here obviously duggan must have gone back to southwest to finish up you know because him and rick harris started around the same time rick harris stayed duggan went back and now he's back here in mid-south he must have had to give his notice in southwest that had to be the reason yeah, and in, and they even showed that uh, was a couple two weeks ago. Maybe they showed the the match with him and fabulous Frank Monty. I'm joking; he wasn't so fabulous, but you get the point. They showed that clip of that match from them, maybe four four minutes, five minutes of the match there. So pro that that would make a lot of sense to me. Well, from there, Mike, we get a big tag team match to end this show: The Assassin with Hangman Rick Harris against, for the first time ever on TV. The Junkyard Dog teaming with Ernie the Big Cat Lad. 
Alfred Neely is the referee. And right away from the jump, there's stuff going on. They don't give this a lot of time, but the time that they use for this is used well because there's so much going on. Let's play a little bit of audio. We'll stop this and we'll talk about it on the other side. From each team, there's Ted DiBiase, Bill Watts. Boy, Pierce, I just looking at that. You better shut the doors and batten down the hatches. And uh, I'm telling you, everything could just break loose. Look at Junkyard Dog staring at Ted DiBiase right now. DiBiase out there with a tablet in his hand. I guess he's going to scout the match. Everybody in this crowd was rocking and rolling when Junkyard Dog and Big Cat Ernie Ladd came out. But now I think they're all wondering and worried because you know good and well that DiBiase doesn't need a tablet to scout the Junkyard Dog. He was a close friend for a couple of three years with him, so certainly he knows the dog's moves. DiBiase, just, that just forebodes a lot of evil. Dog going after the assassin's mask. Hangman Harris coming in. Big Ernie Ladd tagged in. Eddie Robinson, the fine coach at Grambling. Wow, did you see Ernie Ladd? You could hear that clear over here, boy. Here's him popping Hangman Harris. Eddie Robinson, the man that Ernie Ladd was recruited to Grambling on a basketball scholarship. Eddie Robinson said anybody that big's playing football, and Ladd was All-American, then All-Pro, Hall of Famer at San Diego, and now dominating the professional wrestling ring, a man that took six weeks from a knee injury. We just saw Paul Ellering last week. Wait a minute. There was a tag behind the dog, and the assassin put something in that mask. He's trying to put the dog away. Big cat, early lad coming in. But the dog just was headbutt by the assassin. What's DiBiase doing? What's DiBiase doing? He's telling the dog to get up. He's taunting the dog. Ernie Ladd in there. The assassin caught him from behind. Boyd Pierce, this is just broken down into mayhem. DiBiase is taunting the junkyard dog. And dog just leveled Ted DiBiase. He just leveled Ted DiBiase. The assassin's got some of that mask. He's going to try to put the dog away. The dog blocked it. The dog blocked it, Boyd. He just drove the assassin in. Now the dog going for the assassin's mask. DiBiase hit him with a chair. There's no doubt Big Ernie Ladd, the big cat, came over and just leveled Ted. Here comes. That, this, that can't be the assassin. That's a grappler. The grappler. Everybody's after the dog. Everybody's after the dog and Ernie Ladd. Grappler went for the drop kick with that loaded boot. The dog hang on. Now the dog's fighting back. I don't know how he does it. You talk about heart and courage. How he could possibly fight back under these odds. But big cat Ernie Ladd in there delivering with 327 and a size 17 shoe. Junkyard dog in there walking tall. Big Ernie Ladd walking tall. I don't even know who the legal man in the ring is. Neither does Alfred Neely. But somebody's down for the fall. And Neely's counting it. And Ladd the junkyard dog win this match. Two men against three. Two men against four. The junkyard dog and Ernie Ladd, Boyd Pierce. Alfred Neely called him to the bell. Now you see him. Boyd Pierce. I'm going to try to get the junkyard dog bell if I can. Chair. A broken steel chair. I don't know how much time we have. I'd like to get him over here too, Boyd. Well, let's stop it there, Mike. Like I said before, so much going on, and it's all executed so well. Ted DiBiase at ringside with a clipboard to uh, scout, but it seems more to just get in the head of the junkyard dog, to mess with the junkyard dog. The match is really good back and forth, and then 
as Bill Watts expertly commentates over it. And boy, what a job he did. His voice, when he gets into it, he really gets you into it as the viewer. And he points out the fact that Grappler runs in with the assassin mask on, loads the boot. There's so much happening. The dog finally gets his hands on DiBiase and punches him. What did you think of all this? How do you encapsulate all this? Man, I, I would normally try to go, you know, move by move with what just happened there. But I thought Watts did a phenomenal job there from the time Assassin, you know, loaded the mask to the time to the time that DiBiase then finally, you know, he he hits, you know, dog with the chair, uh, the chair, the chair doesn't actually break at that moment. We're going to hear something in a second related to the chair being broken. The chair actually breaks when they throw the, the right. chair out of the ring. <laughs> uh, but don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. This is pro wrestling, remember. This is sports entertainment. The, the grappler, what's what's great about that, and I just want to point this out in the finish, the grappler actually runs out again with the yellow mask, and the grappler is the one who he takes the pin <laughs> And he wasn't even a participant, but that's who dog hit with a thump. Remember, it was Rick Hangman Harris and the assassin versus JYD and Ernie Ladd. But the grappler is the one who gets pinned and then he rolls out the ring. But it was just a, a just a wild scene at the end of this that Bill Watts really did a good job on commentary with as JYD and Ernie Ladd got the win. And we've seen many TV tapings, Mike, end with a dead crowd or with the bleachers emptying out. Not the case here. This is the last match it is taping. And the fans are super into it, and they're super engaged, and they're loud, and they're reacting to everything. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I've said a few times, I can't remember the transition point at which it happens in Mid-South, because it, it just I just remember it happening as a kid. But I know that there was a certain point where I feel like Watts was like, okay, I can't have these tapings end with something dead happening, like these non-matches or things like that. So... It it may it, I may I feel like it happened at like a light switch moment where they turned the light on and Watts no longer did it, but maybe it just happened gradually and it was only sometime I don't really know, but I feel like Watts makes a concerted effort to try to make sure these things end with things hot going off the air. I mean I know for a fact by the time we get to the the freaking Jim Ross era that's what happens, but I feel like it happened a lot sooner than that, and maybe in my mind I just misremember it. But uh, I, I like the fact that, uh, like you just said, we get this moment here where it's just wild as we're going off air, and then we're going to get a promo too shortly. And let's go to that promo right now. They talked about it. They'd like to get the Junkyard Dog over to the desk. They not only get the dog, they also get the big cat. Let's go to this right now. We get the microphone over here. JYD, I don't know how you did it, you and big cat. I saw the steel chair broken. No doubt about it. There was two against four out there, it turned out to be, but you guys got the victory. JYD, a quick moment about DiBiase. Is there any doubt in your mind? There's no doubt in my mind on what he's trying to do. He's doing the thing that nobody else in the world could do is get rid of the dog. Now I'm on my best, Bill. He have stepped in a hide of bees. Well, hey, one thing I can say, he's some kind of man. Look at this chair. It's a steel chair. man popped it over. Steel chair and it broke it on his back. I, I hate to be DiBiase in dog shoes because he's upset. Boyd Pierce, back to you now. I don't know how much time Thank we have. Thank you, Bill. That time is just about gone. You heard what the junkyard dog, you heard what Ernie Cat Lad had to say, and you saw him in action. 
Remember, next week here on Mid-South Wrestling, the popular girl wrestlers will be here. Many of you have been asking for them. You'll be able to see them, along with another great card presented by Mid-South Wrestling, Charlie Lay President, and matchmaker Grizzly Smith. For Cowboy Bill Watts, another tremendous job as our guest commentator. You had a lot to talk about this week, Bill. Boy, Pierce, you just got a hold on your chair when you're here, when you got athletes like this that Grizzly Smith's put together. Thanks again for letting us come into your homes. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye, everybody, for Mid-South Wrestling television network well there it is mike another great episode of mid-south wrestling in the books goes off the air with the dog breathing heavy obviously just went through so much and ernie ladd is so impressed that even though like you said that chair broke when they threw it out of the ring you watch it you could see it but if you weren't paying attention to the chair and you were just watching the match you didn't know any better you thought yeah that chair broke on the dog's back that's how tough he is and it even impressed ernie ladd yeah, and, and the, to be honest with you, nobody that was watching live there saw it break probably because it happened when it hit on the opposite side of the ring from where the crowd is. So it, like the only way you saw it potentially, I guess if you're sitting high enough or to the left of the ring, I just noticed it because I saw it like literally come apart on TV. But hey, whatever. I mean, it worked and um, it sold JYD. I mean, even if the chair, even let's just take the, the fact that the chair broke after the fact out. Uh, they threw everything they had right there at Ernie Ladd and JYD, and they still came away with the win. And that's the point that I guess we need to try to make there is that after all of the shenanigans that went on to take them out, they were they still overcame it. And I think that's the big point there. Let's do some results from what was going on in Mid-South Wrestling at this time, Mike. On July 16th in Shreveport, Louisiana at the Municipal Auditorium, Ted DiBiase went to a no contest with the Junkyard Dog. Andre the Giant defeated Killer Khan. Mr. Olympia defeated the One Man Gang via disqualification. Ernie Ladd and Colonel Buck Robley defeated John Studd and the Super Destroyer by disqualification. Steve Williams over Bob Roop. Judy Martin beating Vivian St. John. Hacksaw Jim Duggan beat King Cobra. And Paul Ellering over Billy the Star Child Star. The next night, July 17th, 1982, in New Orleans, Louisiana, at the Superdome. Jesse Bard defeated Mike Bond. Paul Ellering defeated Billy Star. It was Jim Duggan over King Cobra. Vivian St. John beat Judy Martin. Iron Mike Sharp defeated the Hangman, Rick Harris. Steve Dr. Death Williams defeating Bob Roop. Ernie Ladd and Colonel Buck Robley defeating the Assassin and the one-man gang. We had the Junkyard Dog going to a double disqualification with Ted DiBiase. Andre the Giant defeating Killer Khan and the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, defeating John Studd and the Super Destroyer off the Georgia TV. The next night in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at the Myriad, Mike Sharp defeated Jesse Barr. Mr. Olympia and Vivian St. John defeated the Hangman Rick Harris and Judy Martin in a mixed tag match. Buck Robley over the Assassin. Ernie Ladd over Killer Khan. Ted DiBiase defeated Bob Roop. The Junkyard Dog over the One Man Gang. And Andre the Giant with Steve Dr. Death Williams defeating John Studd and the Super Destroyer, giving Dr. Death a big match in Oklahoma City, even though he was a rookie here at this time. That same day in Tulsa at the convention center, a two-for-one in Oklahoma that day, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia over John Studd and the Super Destroyer, Andre the Giant defeating Killer Khan, Ernie Ladd defeating the One Man Gang, Steve Dr. Death Williams over Bob Roop, 
Ted DiBiase defeated Iron Mike Sharp. We had Buck Roby beating The Assassin. Vivian St. John over Judy Martin. And Jesse Barr over Ricky Harris. One more here. July 19th, 1982 in Monroe, Louisiana at the Civic Center. We had The Assassin and the One Man Gang over Jesse Barr and Steve Dr. Death Williams. Jim Duggan defeating Vinnie Romeo. Vivian St. John over Judy Martin. Buck Robley defeating Bob Roop. And I believe this is Bob Roop's last night in the territory here on July 19th. The Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia defeating John Studd and the Super Destroyer. We had Ted DiBiase over Iron Mike Sharp. Ernie Ladd defeating Killer Khan via disqualification. And the Junkyard Dog beating Ted DiBiase in a lights-out match. As we begin to wrap things up, I want to remind you that you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and Booking the Territory? Come check us out twice a week. Just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. And you can hear myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner give our take on classic wrestling as it pertains to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and the old NWA Saturday night shows on TBS. We are the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast, but it's a damn good time as we, uh, we're full of jokes and just evil laughter and all kind of shenanigans. Uh, we're like, um, I don't know, I, I guess uh, I've been told that I'm the baby face of us and the, those two guys are the heels, but you be the judge as you come take us for a spin. Again, that's twice per week. Uh, the Smoky Mountain Show drops on Sunday nights, and the Saturday Night Show drops on Thursday nights. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And the only – I missed one thing. You can find the show, if not searching Book in the Territory, wherever you get your podcast from. You can also find it by going to tinyurl.com slash bttpod. And uh, come have fun. Join us. We have a good time. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Book it. Mm-hmm.